0: Please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figilus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God number of months ago, Pastor Johnson asked me to outline the book of Second Timothy and divide it, how I might like to go through it together, um, he preaching some of the portions and me preaching other portions. I followed an outline by Kent Hughes and Brian Chapel and then, after I sent him this outline, you know last week I, I realized. This is a preaching section? I have this text as a preaching section? Should have, I should have paid a little bit more careful attention uh, because there's not a ton of information here, but nonetheless, I think that every part of Scripture is inspired. Every part of Scripture points us to the Lord Jesus in some way. Every part of Scripture is edifying to us and is meant to build us up. But nonetheless, I abandoned any attempt to outline the, uh, this passage because it's kind of challenging to outline. <laughs> how, do I, how do I preach on what seems to be not a prominent text? We often don't doubt any of you have memorized this text, right? So I'm just going to answer a few basic questions. They might seem like simple questions but I'm not above asking questions that sound maybe a little dumb. Uh, First question I had is, where's Asia? It might sound simple, but when when this text says that all who are in Asia turned away from me, that Asia that they're talking about is not the continent of Asia. We think of China and, um, you know, Some of the, Japan maybe, some of these countries, East Asia, that's not what they're talking about here. There was a Roman province called Asia, and it included the western part of what is now Turkey plus offshore islands. The city of Ephesus was the the capital of this Roman province called Asia. Some people there in that Roman province opposed the way. Uh, The way was the initial movement of those who followed the Lord Jesus. They were known as the way. This province had many different Jews. So in Jerusalem, some of the Asians opposed Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Others opposed Paul in Acts chapter 21, verse 27, and Acts chapter 24. At first, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were not allowed by the Spirit to preach the good news in the province of Asia. In Acts chapter sixteen, but uh, later, eventually, Paul would go to Ephesus in Asia with Priscilla and Aquila in Acts chapter eighteen, where many people became believers, including Apinetus, which was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Acts chapter, excuse me, Romans sixteen five, Tychicus and Trophimus as well in Acts chapter twenty. What we see in Acts is a great moving of the Holy Spirit in Asia. So there were many people who came to know the Lord, but it was not without great difficulty. When Paul recounts his experience in the Roman province of Asia in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul experienced great difficulty in the province of Asia. Additionally, Paul spent some 2.5 years, two and a half years in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. He spent a fair amount of time in Ephesus during his third missionary journey, and you would think that the people there whom he ministered to while he was there preaching would have been faithful followers if he spent a fair amount of time there. But nonetheless, as we read here, everyone in the province of Asia, he says, had abandoned him. Last week, if you were here, I told a story of a man whom we were family friends with who was arrested for human trafficking. And many people ostracized him and his family, understandably so. The number of times that I have done prison ministry, I haven't done that much prison ministry, but I have done some in jail ministry. I can tell you that people are very, very grateful to be visited in prison. They're very, very grateful to be written while they are in jail or in prison. It's a place where some people may go crazy, uh, a desolate place for many people. Of course, the prison system that we have today probably looks nothing like the prison system back then, but it's, it's a dark and lonely place. One commentator said that when Paul says, everyone turned away, one of the commentators, which I don't really agree with, <laughs> he said that, well, this, this is evidence that Paul was depressed. Uh, we, we don't exactly know that. But I think that we can clearly say this was a dark and, and lonely time. What does turned away from me mean? Uh, mean excuse me. What does, it, what does it mean that Paul says they turned away from me? Many people think that it's referring to a particular event, that Paul, when Paul was arrested, he wouldn't have been arrested just for being a follower of the way. Uh, it's not enough just to say, well, he was a Christian, and therefore they immediately arrested anybody who was a Christian. In order to be arrested, he would have had to have been brought up on a charge of disturbing the peace or doing something uh, seditious. Nothing less would have actually made him a prisoner. But what's, what's really the big deal uh, with this? You might not think that that was a big deal, but here's what John Stott has to say, which I think is helpful. Paul saw the turning away of the Asian churches as more than a personal desertion. It was a disavowal of his apostolic authority. It must have seemed particularly tragic because a few years previously, during Paul's two-and-a-half-year residence in Ephesus, Luke says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord and many believed. Acts chapter 19, verse 10. Now all in Asia had turned away from him. The great awakening had been followed by a great defection. To every eye but that of faith, it must have appeared just then as if the gospel were on the eve of extinction. So this was a very a dark moment for the Apostle Paul. This is the last letter that we have of his writings. Uh, he's writing his farewell discourse, you might say, to Timothy, hand, passing on uh, what had been taught to him. Who were, who, who were the people who turned away? Well, all turned away from Paul does not necessarily mean everyone without exception. So Onesiphorus, we're about to talk about him, his household, and Tychicus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, they remained loyal to Paul. So it's not everyone without exception. But a couple of people who definitely did were these people named Figilus and Hermogenes. Now, it's pretty interesting to read all the different speculation about the people in Scripture and what people have to say about them and what they think they know about them. We don't really know about much. Know much. Some people think they were ringleaders of this movement against Paul to disavow his authority. There are other people, one, one in particular who I read, who said they, he actually thought they were the kind of men that Paul thought least likely to defect, to turn away from him. So according to this commentator, he says, even these two faithful brethren have deserted me in my hour of need. That's what Paul was saying. At the end of the day, we don't really know. We don't really know exactly who these men were. We don't know how close they were to Paul. We don't know their personal relationship. And if you think that's speculation, let me assure you, there's a lot more speculation on who Onesiphorus was. Uh, who is Ones- Onesiphorus? Well, let me say a few things uh, or a few um, make a few comments about who he's not. He's not the same person as Onesimus. In the book of Philemon, we learn uh, there was a slave to Philemon named Onesimus. Different guy, different person. Now, the eastern Tradition, so Eastern Orthodox tradition, they have actually made this man, Onesiphorus, a saint, and they believe that he was one of the 70 disciples chosen and sent by Jesus to preach. Um, the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church hold that he died as a martyr in the city of Parium, not far from Ephesus on the shores of Hellespont. I did not do a, a lot of historical. gathering, but we simply don't know that information. We have nothing to to corroborate what they're saying, that he was one of the 70 chosen disciples sent by Jesus to preach. We don't have any evidence of that. Additionally, there's more speculation. The New Testament Apocrypha, there's a number of books that are non-canonical, non-canonical early writings. One of them, and the only reason I mention it is because it, it talks about a One of them is called the Acts of Paul and Thecla, And it is a story which I think has no basis in truth, but I'm going to mention it. Uh, one person called it a religious romance where Paul is uh, preaching and some young woman follows him around and Paul is preaching in the household of Onesiphorus in Iconium. Now, I can tell you that uh, Tertullian, who was an early, early church leader, writes that there was a presbyter who confessed to writing this story, the Acts of Paul and Thecla. This presbyter from Asia was actually deposed as a minister after confessing that he wrote the story. <laughs> So, there's a lot of speculation, and the only reason I mention all of this is because if you Google it, you know, you you might find a lot of people saying a lot of kind of weird things about who this man was. We don't really have any basis of uh, historical data that would corroborate, to my knowledge, all of these speculations, okay? Here's what John Stott says that we do know that I think is helpful, one bright exception, he's speaking of people falling away or, or turning away from Paul. One bright exception appears to have been a man called Onesiphorus, who had often entertained Paul in his home, literally refreshed him, verse 16, and had rendered him other, unspecified service in Ephesus. He had thus been true to the meaning of his name, a bringer of prophets. In addition, he had not been ashamed of Paul's chains, which seems to mean both that he did not repudiate him at the time of his arrest, and that he followed him, even accompanied him, to Rome, and then searched diligently for him until he found him in his dungeon. Paul had good reason to be grateful for his faithful and courageous friend. It is not surprising, therefore, that he twice utters a prayer, verse 16 and verse 18, for his household may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus and then for himself, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. I think that's helpful. His name meant a bringer of profit. We don't know a lot about him, but we do know that he refreshed Paul at a time of great need. Uh, we don't know if that meant that means that he brought him some water, although I think it was more than that. Um, he is demonstrating in his own actions not only that he hasn't disavowed his authority, but that he's, he's caring for Paul. He's in fellowship with Paul. Um, he's bringing sort of grace to this terrible, tragic situation. I don't think I'm overreading it to say that. At least, that's my opinion. I do think that it, it is a lesson that we are to remember remember the people who are... Maybe shut-ins who are, who are outside of our community, uh, nonetheless desire to be a part of our community. Uh, Pastor Johnson often visits the shut-ins and um, brings them the Lord's Supper. There are people in the hospital who can't be here. And it can be a, a pretty lonely place. And part of ministry is visiting the people who are sick or who are outcast. Might also mean visiting people who are in prison, one of the OP ministers named Lowell Ivy, who i 've talked about before, was in fact in prison when he heard the gospel from other pastors in our presbytery and believed and came to know the Lord. We are to be caring for one another in that way, and the, the scripture is filled with people who well, I won't say it's filled, but there are examples of people who seem to be forgotten. I'm thinking of Joseph in particular, in the chapter, uh, I forget which chapter it is, in Genesis, where he tells his dream, he interprets, excuse me, he interprets the dream, Pharaoh's dream, and uh, he tells this inter- interpretation to one of his, uh, one of the people in, his, in prison, and they're released. And he says, remember me when you, <laughs> whenever you're released, and of course he forgets him. It. it looks in that chapter as if no one's paying attention, and that Joseph is forgotten. But he's not forgotten. Uh, The Lord is is watching and remembers that Joseph is there. Here's another question I had. Why was it hard for Onesiphorus to find Paul? It says that he searched for Paul earnestly. Some people think he didn't know his way around in the city of Rome. That's understandable. Uh, Part of the city had been destroyed when Nero burned it. The location of Paul's imprisonment may have been kept from other Christians. So there may not have been many believers there in Rome to help him find Paul. But whatever the case, whatever he had to do, he searched hard and he found Paul. Now here's another interesting side note. Some people actually think that uh, when, when Paul writes, may the Lord grant... Him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Some people think that that is an indication that Onesiphorus was dead when Paul wrote this letter. And not only that, some, particularly Catholics, believe that therefore that this passage teaches that we may pray on behalf of the dead. I don't think that that's what this passage is teaching. I think that's a lot of speculation. We do not have any indication that Paul thought that Onesiphorus was dead. In fact, in uh, chapter 4, verse 19, Paul sends greetings to the household of Onesiphorus, but he doesn't mention him. And so, again, people think, well, that's because he, he was no longer there, he was dead, but we don't, we don't have any conclusive evidence of that. And I don't think that it's scriptural to uh, pray on behalf of the dead. I don't think you can make that case clearly from Scripture. Uh, If he was dead, some people think, well, he perished during his journey and cared for Paul. Again, it's speculation. We don't really know that. Other people say, well, maybe they were separated. Maybe Onesiphorus was separated from his household. Again, this is all speculation. We don't really know. There's so much that we do not know. But we do know that he cared for Paul at a moment of great need. Okay, so having said all of that and answered all of those questions that maybe you were not asking, that maybe I was asking, how does this point us to the Lord Jesus? Well, I think that there's a number of things that we can say about the Lord Jesus from maybe... Um, that is not stretching it. It's not stretching the text to get there. Jesus was truly deserted by everyone around him. Uh, he was deserted by those who were closest to him. Peter spent three years, you know, at least three years, with the Lord Jesus, and that, you know, and he was very clear that other people may fall away, but I will not. But when he is arrested, he denies the Lord Jesus three times. Uh, there was no one there to, uh, to care for him when, when he needed it. And of course, when he went to the cross, he went there to, to take the wrath of God upon himself so that we would not have to go through the dark dungeon without any help. That we have the help of the Holy Spirit if we pray to him. That we are not alone because his spirit dwells within us. We are also to help other people on the journey of the Christian life. One of, uh, uh, one of the parables that, that this text makes me think of is the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, uh, verses 34 through 40, let me read it for you. Then the king will say, this is, um, this is when Jesus has, the king has separated the sheep from the goats. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or th- when were we thirsty and give you gave you uh, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you uh, see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we s- see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, what you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I don't think that Onesiphorus was trying to do something great whenever he went to visit Paul in prison in Rome. I don't think he knew that this was going to be written down and that his name was going to be recorded and we would be preaching and his name would be recorded for forever. I don't think he was really after that. Uh, He might have have thought he was doing something small. And nonetheless, the Lord saw that action and honored it. And I think that it's important for you to realize that small acts of hospitality, small acts of kindness, although they might seem small, bearing with one another, bearing the burdens of, of each other, that's part of what the, the church is supposed to be, caring for those who cannot care for themselves, uh, visiting and writing those who are in prison, visiting them, praying for them, those are things which God uses. And... Uh, it is only through the, the comfort of the gospel that we can offer real hope to people who are in desperate need. So, um, may the Lord use the small things in life for his great purposes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we do thank you and praise you. that you see our weakness, that you have not forgotten the people who are in prison, who are suffering for righteousness' sake. We thank you for the testimony of Scripture, which tells us, Lord, of many persecutions and tribulations for those who were standing for the truth, who nonetheless were misunderstood by those around them during the early days of the church and throughout the history of the church. We pray that you would use us, you would use our small acts of kindness, however small they be, whether it's just writing to people who are in prison, praying for those who are uh, in prison or shut in or in the hospital, we pray that you would use our prayers to bring great hope to those who need it. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, and we pray that we would not forget the great darkness which he went through by taking upon himself our sins, the punishment that we deserve, so that we could offer hope through the gospel from what he has done. Please use your word by the power of your spirit to bring hope and life to those in prison, and to those who have been outcast from society in whatever way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.